As we continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to the Gospel according to Matthew, the 10th chapter, beginning in the 24th verse. Let us receive together the word of God. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Friends, as we continue, if you're just joining us, I want to make sure that you find links for fully engaging in our service in our Facebook and YouTube comments or on our website, foundryumc.org. We were having, I think, some connection issues with our ASL stream, but that I believe is up and running now. So you'll find ASL at foundryumc.org forward slash ASL. And before we pray and reflect on our rather challenging scripture for today, I want to make sure that those of you who are part of the Foundry community received word this past week through email that uh, this coming Tuesday, the Foundry board will be 
receiving the slate and voting on the slate of new members for the board. This is a different process than normal based on the fact that we are in a virtual season for our communal life. And so I want to just lift up to you today and invite you to be in prayer for these persons. I want to say thank you and give thanks to God for the faithful service of Matt Hansen, who served as our board treasurer uh, for five years, and for Noel Bravo, who served on the board for the past three uh, on our personnel committee. We're so grateful for their faithful service. We also give thanks for four persons who are stepping into new three-year terms beginning uh, in July. Amanda Peterson Beadle will serve a second term. Nick Jesse will serve a second term. Brian Walker is joining the board for the first time. And Karen Berry is joining the board for a first term. We're so grateful to all of these persons and we pray your blessing upon them as they give so much of themselves to serve Foundry and through Foundry, our city and world. We also invite you to participate always. All are welcome to come and to observe our board meetings and you can find information about that uh, on Foundry's website or just give us a, a ring or uh, send an email. We'll get you connected. Will you pray with me? Loving God, in these moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh on me and upon all of us who have gathered around this word that you have for us today. Use me that your word may be received. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last week, Foundry received a powerful call from our guest preacher, Reverend Kimberly Scott. The call was to live as if our loved ones are at risk, to recognize that God has placed us where we are today to be part of building up a new world. When Reverend Scott repeated that call to live as if our loved ones are at risk, I found myself thinking, our loved ones are at risk. The question is, who do we count as our loved ones? Who's our neighbor? Only our blood kin? Only those we know well? Only those with whom we agree? Today, the lectionary gives us what folks in my Thursday night Bible study widely agreed is a not so favorite passage of scripture. And I get it. It's full of all sorts of confusing and triggery words and phrases. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not, think I, uh, do not think I have come to bring peace, but a sword. And here's a good one for Father's Day. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And then what's all that business about finding and losing life? It's a lot. But honestly, the more... I've read and prayed with our text, 
this past week, the more I realize that these lines of scripture are the sermon that Jesus might give if he were to show up at the podium in front of St. John's Episcopal Church on Black Lives Matter Plaza today. Matthew chapter 10 begins with Jesus calling together his disciples to give them authority over unclean spirits and power to cure diseases and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Jesus then sends them out into the world and communicates clearly that some folks will not receive them. Some will not acknowledge their authority, will not welcome their message. And worse, they'll likely get beaten up by the powers that be and dragged before governors and kings. We hear in verse 25, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is just another word for Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? In other words, the disciples who do what Jesus does in the world aren't going to get better treatment than Jesus himself. And let's remember, Jesus wasn't even out of the manger before the agents of empire were trying to kill him. He hadn't started to walk, much less talk, before his parents were forced to seek asylum to save his life. And we know that trend continued throughout his life. But even still, Jesus did not back down or pipe down, but just kept doing what he had been sent to do. And he was firmly in the prophetic flow of his ancestors like Auntie Esther, whose story we heard last week. Following Jesus, being called to do and to speak and to love as he does, is risky. It is costly. If your Christian faith isn't making you shift in your seat <laughs> or re-examine your priorities regularly or sacrifice some time, energy, or money or try something that feels uncomfortable or make space, literally or figuratively, for people who make you twitchy, or risk losing something for the greater good, if these things are not part of your Christian faith, then, well, something's missing. Let me interject here. As I know, we are all weary and in various stages of grief for so many reasons right now. So let me just be clear. Our faith, of course, our faith is a source of comfort and encouragement. God's grace and God's peace are always available to us. That is true. But any kind of peace that is pretending there is nothing wrong around us is not peace. Peace achieved by proffering a bland niceness 
wrapped around simmering resentment or aggravation or dismissiveness or hatred is not peace. Any peace that avoids difficult conversations or avoids naming or changing things so as not to make anyone angry or uncomfortable is not peace. These and other things are not peace. They are denial. They are avoidance. They are lies. Jesus taught in the Beatitudes that peacemakers are blessed. I don't think Jesus was talking about denial, avoidance, or lies. It's a different kind of peace that Jesus reveals to us. The next Beatitude is instructive. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, without righteousness, right relationship, justice, there is no peace, no justice, no peace. Peace without justice isn't peace, it's pretending. And understand, the point here is not that we are to go out and seek persecution or to stir the pot just to stir the pot. Jesus didn't stir the pot just because he thought it would be interesting. Jesus wasn't persecuted because he disturbed the peace of an already peaceful world. Jesus was persecuted because he disturbed the injustice of an unjust world. And he did that in order to make real peace. Jesus comes to disturb anything in the world that keeps people from knowing the fullness of their dignity and value and power and belovedness. And this means, for just one example, that sometimes a gay child will have to challenge the teaching of his mother or father in order to live fully a life of love and freedom, the life that he was created and given by God. Jesus comes to disturb any system or mindset or attitude or practice that would hinder anyone from systematically being denied their freedom, safety, and daily bread. I'll bet we could all come up with lots of examples of the ways that people are systematically denied those things in our world. All of this leads me to imagine Jesus marching down 16th Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and stepping up to the podium after spending some time with those who sleep on the steps of St. John's Episcopal Church, and then stepping up into a certain kind of speech, prophetic speech, a cadence meant to unsettle and to make a point, strong language, hyperbolic utterance, 
hard words that tumble forth such that we are left with little doubt that they have landed and done their disturbing work. What is it that's getting shaken loose in these words? What is Jesus trying to get through to us? That there are more important things in life than our own comfort or ease. That we are made for more than looking out for number one. That going along to get along may have its place in small matters, but doing so when some lives are treated as they don't matter may cost you your soul. The Greek word translated soul in verse 28, suke, is the same word translated life in verse 39. Those who find their suke will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Suke can also be translated breath, our soul, our life is breathed into us by God. And Jesus teaches that our life is precious and it is valued. Every hair on our head is counted. And we, with these breath-filled, God-given lives, are meant and sent to do healing and life-giving Things We were made to love. We were made to love God. We were made to love our neighbor. That is the life-breathed purpose in everyone. But this life can be diminished. It can be denied. It can be lost. Think of how much true life is lost by those who think they've got the life and have it all figured out. Those who focus perhaps only on their own advancement and comfort and are willing to do pretty much anything to get it. Those whose smarts fuel a cynicism that blocks even any vision of a new world, much less the motivation to work toward it. Those who are unwilling to take attention away from managing their own stuff long enough to realize that the folks that they're saying should pull themselves up by their bootstraps do not, in fact, have any boots. Those who don't bat an eye at the thought of thousands of lives lost to COVID-19 if it means boosting an economy that already benefits those who can comfortably avoid infection as they enjoy the pool at their second or third home. God breathes life into us and sets us in creation and in community to live with and for one another. We have been given a kingdom vision for life together. 
that breaks down walls of hatred and tribalism and prejudice and bigotry and violence and selfishness and greed. We are given by our God authority and power and grace from Jesus the Christ to live and to share that vision, that life with love and with boldness and with compassion and with courage. Jesus here is not preaching that we shouldn't love our parents or that if we mess up, we get a star taken off our worthy chart. Remember, one of the Ten Commandments was to honor your father and mother. Jesus isn't undoing that. There are plenty of examples of God's unfailing compassion and mercy and love in our scriptures. Jesus isn't undoing that. What Jesus is trying to get through to us is that the love and the way of life to which we are called requires something of us that may and likely will lead to conflict, even within the communities that have raised and formed us, our families, our church, our circle of friends, our nation. Jesus is preaching that we can live a thin peace that doesn't rock the boat and in the process, lose the life we were created to live. The life that is willing to sacrifice something in order to participate in the work of love and compassion and justice. Martin Niemöller, a Lutheran pastor who initially supported then opposed the Nazi regime in Germany, was a prison, uh, imprisoned for seven years in concentration camps. He wrote the following, which I've amended for our moment. First, they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the immigrants. I didn't speak out because I wasn't an immigrant. And then they came for the unhoused. And I didn't speak out because I wasn't unhoused. And then they came for LGBTQ siblings. And I did not speak out because I was not LGBT or Q. Then they came for black people, indigenous people, and people of color. And I didn't speak out because I was not a person of color. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. Beloved, our loved ones are at risk. And we are receiving message after message to do something about it. We're being called to rise up in this moment of spirit-breathed, spirit-ignited revolution in our city and our nation and in our world. The Pentecost revolution that ignites a dream. Today, we are given authority and power by the grace of Christ to let go of our fear and find ourselves as agents 
in the revolutionary dream of God's all-embracing love that is unleashed in the world. That's going to take many forms. And it's up to each one of us to discern our particular role. What are you willing to risk for the sake of the dream? What kind of peace are you willing to pursue? What kind of love will you offer and to whom? What are you willing to lose in order to live the life you're made for? Are you willing to live as if more than your life is at stake? Amen.